and welcome back to another episode of the Slick Pivot Sessions. I'm Liz Ward and this is the podcast where we dig, delve and deconstruct the journeys of people who have pivoted their careers. I know it can feel rough when you're at a pivot point, so we'll be stripping back the sugar coating, uncovering the pitfalls and progress of our guests and unearthing some practical advice for those of you wanting to make a change. Join me as we crack the formula for making a successful pivot in your life or work. My hope is that by sharing these stories, it sparks inspiration on how to design your work life for more happiness and growth. Because I believe that life is too short to do work that doesn't make you happy. I'm super excited to be joined today by my guest, Jenny Sims, owner and brand director of The Marshmallowist, the UK's first gourmet marshmallow company. I chatted to Jenny about how she pivoted from speech writing in Parliament to a sweeter life running a confectionery startup. The Marshmallowist has been at the forefront of setting trends, combining classic confectionery with unexpected flavours like raspberry and champagne or blueberry and gin. The business is run by two sisters, Jenny and Una. Jenny is responsible for brand and sales, while her sister Una dreams up the kitchen creatively. In this Slick Pivot session, we chat about confidence, believing in your product, and how you'll never leave your skills and strengths behind when moving into a new career path. This interview covers loads, like building a brand with no budget, getting on the shelves of major retailers, and what happens when your product goes viral. Jenny is my pal, and I've seen her pivot journey from a distance over the last five years. It was great to have her over in my lounge studio to explore her story. Enjoy this Slick Pivot session, and if you like what you hear, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review and a star rating. Subscribers, written reviews, and star ratings really help us grow this podcast, reach more people, and bring you fantastic guests. Okay, here goes. So hello Jenny. Hi Liz. Thank you for coming on Slick Pivot Sessions. Thanks for having me. I am really excited about having this conversation because even though we're really good friends and I've helped support you in your business, we've actually never had this conversation about your personal journey. We've had it a lot in, I suppose, snippets. We have. Um, We've had small chats. Normally over wine. (laughs) Or panicked before big meetings, but never, never sat down and gone through it as a process. Yeah, and so when I was thinking about guests for this podcast, yeah. you were basically my first choice and have yeah. always been. So um, I'm really looking forward to hearing about your career before mm-hmm. you became um, an owner of a marshmallow company and, um, and how you went from the world of politics to confectionery and the kind of ups and downs and pivot points along the way. Yeah. So I'm really um, pleased to have you here in my lounge. Thank you, um, it's really comfy. <laughs> um, it's great to dive in. So I wanna start, if we can, just to rewind a few years mm-hmm. to before you were part of the Marshmallowist. And what was your what was your career and working life like? What did you do? So I worked in politics for 10 years um, across various roles. So um, I studied politics at university. I did a master's in social and public policy. 
And I always saw myself going into that sort of quite policy wonk area, really, for want of a better description. Um, it was quite serious. Um, so I worked at the BBC politics show as a researcher. I did qualitative um, research studies. I worked for a couple of think tanks and then I worked in Parliament. Uh, I remember when you worked in Parliament because that was when we kind of like reconnected our friendship after school and you were working in Parliament and I was like that is so cool. It was, yeah it was. (laughs) I was there for four years and that was an amazing time. It was a great role and a great opportunity and I'd wanted it for so long Um, and after that I and I was I was really passionate about it and that was the thing like that's where I that's where I wanted to be mm-hmm. um and how long had you kind of had that dream about getting to working in parliament when did that kind of start for you oh I mean as you know I'm very new labor Liz so since 1997 <laughs> that so, was yeah since so it was a long time so we were since we were you know 14 at school yeah um and that's that's where I, that's sort of where I saw myself. Um, and I don't necessarily think I wanted to be a politician. But I definitely wanted to work around um, politics, and I love politics, both with a big P and small P. Like I love small time office politics. <laughs> <laughs> and so you were there in this job that you had seen yourself doing, um, and then and then what happened? So after I was in Parliament, I I actually got my dream job, or at the time what I thought was my dream job. Um, I was director of a trade union think tank. And the role was really varied. I was given a lot of autonomy. I worked with a um, steering committee of some made up of members of some really amazing trade unions, progressive trade unions that I really respected. And I had a great boss who gave me a lot of support and really empowered me into my own decision making, which I hadn't really had before. All the other roles I'd had before were certainly in Parliament. You're a parliamentary assistant. Everything you do is very much behind the scenes. Everything you write is not with your name at the bottom of it. It's yeah. with your MP's name at the yeah, bottom. Yeah, because you of were it. writing for MPs before yeah. they went on Newsnight and things so like that. You were writing you're what writing, people would say. Yeah speeches, early day motions, every letter, every pretty much every email, it's never with your name at the bottom of it. Um, which is fine, but this role then gave me an opportunity to chair panel discussions and to have my own thoughts, mm. um, which I, I, I loved it, but it wasn't my job, unfortunately. It was a 12 month um, cover position and I knew it was a first term role when I took the job on um, but I think when I when it got to the end of it I was really I was a I was a bit more shaken than I thought mm. I wasn't ready to leave um, yeah. and it must have been you must have felt quite sad because I, I think often um, I mean I know quite a few people that go into these 12 month fixed contracts or maternity covers yes, and things like exactly. that and you kind of think if you love the job maybe maybe there's a chance the person won't come back yeah. or like maybe maybe this will turn into something which is unfair because i knew i i, I knew that it, it you know it wouldn't but um yeah but I, I, and, and it did open my network but after that i took on various 
again interim positions mm. but there was no permanency to it or something it nothing was quite clicking after that um and that's why when the opportunity came up to work with una which again was meant to be for six months and that was five years ago. yeah so una is your sister and una set up the marshmallowist on her own so una started the marshmallowist in 2011 and it was the uk's first gourmet marshmallow company and she left school at 18, moved to Paris, and trained as a shop platier in patisserie. And um, I mean, can you imagine? I know, it's like I a know. book, isn't it? Yeah. It is, it really <laughs> Little is. Little fairy tale, you can see the film already. <laughs> and she stayed in these gorgeous little flats and had a, you know, w exactly, with balconies and winding staircases and, <laughs> and making croissants at five in the morning. Obviously, it all sounds a lot more romantic than it was. It was a pretty hard slog, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and when she came back to London, she worked for Rococo Chocolates as an assistant head chocolatier there. And at the weekends, she had a stall on Portobello Road selling marshmallows. So I think we call that a side hustle yeah now, but... i think today you would call that a side hustle <laughs> i think it was probably a saturday job in yeah. 2011 but, she, but she'd invented her no, own kind it was of her own thing. recipe yeah so she had come up with this amazing marshmallow recipe that she'd seen being made in france but not ever done over here in the same way like beautiful confectionery mm. um and so she started selling them at weekends and garnering quite a lot of attention for them i mean by the time I started working with her, she'd already featured in Vogue, The Times, Stylist. Um, Harvey Nichols had asked to stock her. I mean, you know, she was she was doing really well. And there was no one like that on the scene. No, there was not no at kind all. of sweet treat that. It of was that at type? the height of cupcakes. Yeah. And what she would do is she was very driven by quite grown-up flavours. She was influenced by cocktails. So the flavours that we make of our marshmallows are raspberry and champagne, blueberry and gin. She worked with um, quite a lot of drinks companies that initially did quite a few partnerships. She created the world's first Bloody Mary marshmallow, <laughs> which is spiced tomato and vodka, and is delicious. So, no, there wasn't anything like that. And also, you know, committed to not using colorings or flavorings even natural flavorings everything was the fruit and the fresh herbs and the spices and alcohol real alcohol not you know yeah so she was on to a good thing she really was yeah and also she was really passionate about it mm. um and what was the pivot point for you then to kind of go into that you said that there was like it, you went for a six month short-term contract and you're like so okay quite Clearly, she was reaching the point where she needed to expand and grow. And she had Harvey Nichols coming to her. Selfridges had come to her and said, we want to stock you. She had a book contract offered to her with Penguin Random House. There was, she needed to take on more staff. She, she needed to hire. She needed commercial packaging making so it could go onto the shop floor as opposed to being sold on the deli. Mm -hmm. She needed proper branding. She needed a new website. And because I'd been working across communications and 
yeah, essentially, you know, branding and comms for in the political field, she thought she would come to me because she didn't know really who else to go to. I mean, she'd been doing it on, you know, all of this kind of thing on her own and decided. Sounded like she needed a bit of help. <laughs> you know, she had loads of opportunities and also, you know, you, um, you, you, were, you were really good at writing and one of your superpowers is that kind of communication. Yeah, and also I feel as though she also needed the, the support of having me there. Mm -hmm. And I also needed to do something, I needed to get back into doing something that I really wanted to do. Yeah. And I felt that I was doing bits and pieces and losing my way a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so, that's why I thought, okay, six months, come on, let's do this. I'll help you with the book. Um, we'll get this branding sorted. We'll get your packaging sorted. Um, and that was, for me, was going to be these initial projects that would then set her up to be able to take it and carry on on her own. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> and and what happened? Um, we got busier. <laughs> And that's, and it's true, we got busier, we took on more staff, we took on more contracts, and we started really working effectively as a team. Mm -hmm. And I was learning so much, and she was learning so much, and we were working so well together that I think no one, we still haven't had that conversation of, weren't you meant to be doing something else now? You know, we just... It's, it's still we haven't found time to have the conversation <laughs> it sounded like you kind of got into it and, and liked it and, yeah and, you know and um what was it like then for you to have been in you know in the politics world and um and doing um i suppose i suppose your brand before was part of the kind of politics scene yeah um and now you're in a startup you're um, talking about marshmallows every day how was that transition to something quite different so interestingly i don't feel as though i talk about marshmallows every day okay and i feel as though what we talk about um and certainly what i'm doing in the business is really not that dissimilar to what i was doing before so on a day-to-day -day basis um it's we make a product that we're really proud of and we use amazing ingredients and that we source ethically we have staff that we we brought on and we've trained that we pay well and we run a business where it's about showing how you can have confectionery product and 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 craft something that you genuinely think is better than anything else out there mm -hmm. well that's the same as campaigning. You wouldn't go and work for a, an MP or a political party unless you genuinely thought their message was better than anything else yeah. out there. One of the things and I so see quite often is when people when people work on something they don't believe in, yeah. then they really feel that tension. And yeah. that um, when I meet people that want to change their jobs, it's usually because they're kind of lost the love for the product or the service or yeah. the, the thing that they're working on. Okay. Yeah. So. And that's and that's exactly it. So I don't and I don't feel as though, you know, what I'm doing is 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 that dissimilar to what I was doing before. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's really interesting. So you kind of kept all your skills. Yeah. You haven't and, left and got, any of those skills. And got so many, you yeah. know, new skills. So you've as well. added to your kind of like tool belt. Yeah. Um, but you've kept the ones that were on there before. Because I think some of the times people think when they kind of pivot into something else, mm. they're leaving the old stuff behind. Yeah. But all you're not really, are you? No, not at all. And and I think it's taken me a while to to realise that it has it. I've been doing it five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we've spoken about this before, but it took me quite a while to see my place within the business as being as having agency rather than just supporting Una. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's that's been the transition, you know, in the last, only in the last year, I'd say for me, maybe a year to 18 months, is saying, well, this is my role, this is what I do, and I'm gonna, you know, put myself forward as to what I do in the business and how that differentiates from what Una does in the business, but together we make a really great team, yeah. as opposed to just putting everything out as Una. Uh-huh, and so becoming, becoming a partnership and letting yourself kind of almost commit to that, would you say? Yeah, definitely. And I'd say um, it's interesting that I never thought of it. I feel I thought of my career move as maybe being a bit of a career pause, almost uh. as though I was going to go back to doing something else rather than seeing it as a pivot into, no, I'm. this is what I do and I'm good at doing it. Yeah, yeah. And how do you feel about it now? I love it. I mean, I couldn't be happier. It's the it was the right choice for me. But it just took a while. To it took a like... while to see that it was the right choice for me. You are a mum, and I know you've got a little little bub. You've got two now. Um, what's life like as a working mum, running your own business? I think it's the it's the perfect job for me because I'm running a business with someone who loves my children and understands the, the pressures that's brought with that yeah and I I would like to think that I would have the same support in another role I don't think I would have done mm. and it's been a personal journey for me to get to this point because as you know um both my daughters were conceived through IVF and getting to that stage and the amount of emotional and physical ah <laughs> yeah all the stuff that comes with that it's, it's so been, complex it's been years yeah so i mean we're so lucky we've now got you know two and a half year old daughter and an eight week old daughter um but i don't think that i would have had uh, being able to do that in in any other position, I'd like to think I could, but maybe I. But at the moment, this is really working. Yeah. Um. And how does your like week play out with the kind of kids and the work? I, I know you've got an eight week old, so technically you're kind yeah, of on at the moment I'm leave. sort of. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you and I have both kind of done like maternity leave, which yeah. doesn't really doesn't really it's not really a thing yeah. when you've got your own business. Because I, um, I know for me. I, I, when I had my second, I said, I am having a year off for this one. And then um, I didn't. And I ended up working a lot. And, and my, my little one, it's his, it was his first, birth, first birthday yesterday. And um, I did a lot of work in the last year and um, managed to kind of fit it in. 
but with a bit of kind of mum guilt going on and a bit of tension. Um, how, how are you finding it? Well, interestingly, I, well, firstly, I decided to have my second baby at our busiest time of the year, just mm-hmm. before Christmas. Yeah. So I, I was very much expecting to have two weeks off, um, which I, I think I was back on emails I'm certainly talking to Una about business plans after two weeks, but, but that's you were what on makes your sofa. me happy. But I was on my sofa, and I am, you know, and I'm still on a sofa. This is <laughs> so I can email now whilst breastfeeding, yeah, and I can take phone calls during naps, and actually, you just get better at being more productive and working more efficiently. Yeah. And that's what I found. I mean, Una and I had a conversation about this the other day that I did three hours work the other day and I think it was perhaps more than we'd managed to get out in a whole week, you know, pre, <laughs> pre-baby. But you are, you're much more focused. Yeah. Um, absolutely because you, you know you've only got a certain window of opportunity and um, and you're ready for it yeah and I find you know you, you can you're often like thinking about things and ideas come whilst you're doing the other bits so yeah. I might be like washing bottles or something and then have a real inspired idea yeah. um and one of the uh, things about kind of like being around the house a lot and and only getting work in every now and again um yeah you, you are focused and I think when you're working all day, sometimes mm. it's harder to get that inspiration. And also, I'm not doing the hard stuff here, Liz. <laughs> I leave all that to Una. I'm doing the fun, creative things, and I get to be quite bossy. Yeah. So that. So let's talk about that. So you are the brand director. I am. Um, and so you're you're in charge of all things looking good and sounding good. Exactly. Um, and uh, you have done an absolutely incredible job. Thanks, Liz. Yeah. You know, um, high five to you. Um, you've got beautiful, beautiful packaging, and yeah. I know you have incredibly high standards yeah. um, about everything that goes out. Yeah. Um, how was it for you building a brand startup style? It's it's different, isn't it? If you're used to having a budget, be it for anything, you're and you suddenly have to start working with no budget. Um, when you have high standards, yeah. It's, it's tricky, but what we've really enjoyed the most is that it's our business. So we get to make those decisions. You're not sending it to anyone else And no one off. else is getting sign off. Yeah, it's, it's our sign off. So we had this idea um, when we first started with the packaging that we didn't want it to be pink or pastel or look homemade or be part of that oh this is a, a a homemade cake or cupcake I think at the time it was very much cupcakes um so that's sort of my reference we wanted something to be bold and directional about our branding and packaging so we wanted it to look very graphic and we took that through um with our website and we took it through our Instagram and our photography and everything that we did around it um it's questionable whether that was a good decision some people love it and then some people think "Mm, it's not for them it looks too it's too 
progressive or it looks too much like um, cosmetics packaging or right. you know instead of food packaging and I mean the amount of meetings that we've gone to with buyers where they tell us they love our product but could we put it in a clear plastic bag with a bow oh okay yeah because that's what they know because that's the that's world exactly you're kind of like innovating in a in a world of confectionery exactly. where people see marshmallows through a uh, yeah a plastic bag mm-hmm. that are pink and, and white and and that's what we know and they're not ready for them to be made differently and they're not ready for the flavors to be challenging mm-hmm. and to me they don't taste like marshmallows this is a, a really new confectionery product that we've got and so that's the the, the tipping point yeah i know i know that um you know i i love them but uh they're, they're great like for like posh baby showers and gifting and uh, yeah and weddings and canapes and gifting and that that kind of treat and so when um when when you get that kind of response how have you from the buyers how, how do you respond to that we haven't changed our style we just haven't um and that's you know that's why you've got you know you're building a really strong brand because you're not kind of compromised you've got to be committed to it otherwise what's the point yeah if you take everyone's opinions in here there and everywhere then you're going to end up like murking the waters yeah um and so let's then talk about you know supermarkets and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. i know some of your key highlights have been being stocked in some cool places Um, can you can you share more about that journey into john lewis and harrods so before, I mean, both Una and I will say that I think that our proudest moment was being taken on by John Lewis. And we worked with you, we did a session on building our confidence before we went into that interview. Um, interview, was it an interview? It was a meeting. meeting. It was a meeting. A meeting. But you very, I mean, you're very much there to be interviewed about your product. <laughs> that shows, you know, it felt like an interview. It really felt like an interview. But um, how can I, can you share a bit about how you got in that room? Because I think that would be interesting for people to hear. It's like, you know, how did you actually get there? So we've been trying to get into John Lewis for years and it's very difficult to get hold of buyers' contact details. I can imagine. And somehow we'd managed to get the, uh, the home and gift head buyer's email address. And you can send emails to buyers for months and have no response. And we sent the buyer an email speculatively, um, and it it went to the wrong person, and then got eventually got passed on to the right person. Well, that's and great she, that they forwarded it on. Yeah, and the, sometimes you think it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, and so some good person sent that on because you'd like to think there was a trick to it. You'd like yeah. to think that somehow you start running a business and you know instantly how to be able to get into stores. But yeah. it's just that, you know. I mean, I know when I've worked in really big companies, like getting prospect emails and then having so many emails in my inbox, you know, sometimes I would like think, oh, who is the best person for this email and forward it on? And other times not, because I was having a busy day and then it get lost in the inbox. So you had somebody that went, ah, oh, needs to go to so-and-so and they forwarded it on. They forwarded it on and she got in touch. And said, we're not really interested right now because we're about to go with this similar product. Um, But, you know, thanks for getting in touch and, you know, keep us updated. And we responded immediately with, stop, 
Stop right there. What's your address? We're going to courier you our product so it's with you by the morning. Please try it and then... Oh. And then we, we don't need to hear anything more from but, you. But you could have just gone, oh, you know Thanks what? Thanks very they much. Said no <laughs> and sat back, but you went, stop. Stop right there. I know it works. As soon as people try them, they love them. Yeah. And that's the thing. And that's the difference between having your own business and believing in the product and just doing it for someone else because you would normally get back to uh, you know your senior manager and say no they they didn't want it they said they were going to go with something else as opposed to <laughs> i'm going to go outside your door and wait until you've tried them yeah so you so sent the box we sent the box and we had a courier receipt so we knew that it had been delivered and within half an hour of them being delivered she'd sent us an email asking for a meeting no so we knew that the that she that she was keen um and the meeting was for the following week so we went to john lewis head office both una and i and I'm, i really don't think we've ever been quite so anxious about any meeting and within half an hour of being in the meeting they told us they were going to stock us they told us in the room yeah how amazing. Um, which is fantastic. And that's definitely one of... A bit, and because most of the time, these things do happen over email. or they Because nobody really has time for meetings. So you send in your product and then it happens over email. And then they send off a purchase order. And you don't really have time to get those relationships built. Um, and it, yeah, so that was definitely one of our proudest moments. Oh, I'm, I'm so pleased for you. So, you know, and it, what's really interesting to hear is that, you know, these things do not happen overnight. Like you've wanted it to happen for years, literally years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you tried a number of different tactics um, and then it was like, okay, you know what? We just got to get these on their desk. Yeah. Um, and you had that in, you had a person, you had a name. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's, that's I mean, tell me another kind of, I call them slick pivot high five moments. Can you tell me another moment where you were just like, wow, this is, this business is like, is working. Really well. So last year we started off the year and we'd had a, not a great Christmas, I have to say. Um, and that meant that we were coming into the January at a bit of a low point. And in back in the summer, um, Una had created a CBD marshmallow. <laughs> it was incredible. It's um, cannabis, grapefruit, and pink peppercorn flavor marshmallow. And it has 10 milligrams of, of CBD. And we'd been featured in, you know, several publications but it's quite unusual to have a high-end confectionery product containing cbd and and people were trying talking a little bit more about cbd cbd was kind of coming onto the it scene really wasn't was. it a bit yeah um and thankfully we were one of the first so it meant that you know when newspapers were picking it up that in la it was a trend in cocktails and trying to look for examples here we were there with a product ready to go and in the end of January, uh, we featured on ITV's This Morning. Now, 
we knew we were going to be on because they'd requested samples, but we didn't quite know when. So it came as a bit of a surprise when they bumped our feature up to, to that week. And we were all happened to be in the bakery at the time and we we huddled around our laptop. So did it, they told you it was coming on TV before it went live? Before or it, it went live, but literally the day before. Right. They said, we're going to move your CBD marshmallows to be featured tomorrow. Okay. Oh, that's nice, we thought. And so it's like <laughs> this morning, that's with uh, Phil. Phil and Holly, yeah. <laughs> and they tasted them live on air. Now you can imagine someone doing a live tasting of your product. I mean, we were sat behind the computer just thinking, Please like this. Oh Please God! Like this. The tension. Anyway, they loved them, and not only did they love them, but the presenter, Alice Beer, who presents the consumer section of of this morning, also had a fabulous anecdote about them, which meant that that clip, um, of of Phil and Holly t- eating them, and also the presenter talking about our marshmallows went viral because it was picked up by metro the express the sun well within five minutes our online shop had gone completely crazy we'd sold out of all our existing stock within an hour oh my god and because it then been picked up by press we by the following day we were on the phone to our packaging company having to put in an emergency order (laughs) packaging because we were selling more than we could physically yeah so you didn't have enough boxes to put the marshmallows in so (laughs) what a great problem yeah it's like it's that yeah really good problem my product has kind of gone a little bit bananas and now we've got to fulfill that yeah um and a complete unexpected kind of turn of events and that's the beautiful thing about pr isn't it so you know everybody wants this dream pr um but you, it's that, that readiness. You, know, you can't be ready all the time to fulfil. You can't. And also you just can't know what's going to click and what's not. Yeah. So on that day, how did you feel? Oh, ele- completely elated. Completely elated. And and it, it, it saved us, really, because, you know, we really had gone into January thinking, oh, well, we haven't done as well this Christmas and we've taken some decisions that haven't worked so well for us. And yet that just refocused into, no, we make a really good product, which is innovative, that people want. And that's why we're here and doing well. Um, and it just gave us the impetus to go into to last year with, with, with confidence. Yeah. How do you cope personally with the kind of highs and lows, the roller coaster of emotion? Dreadfully, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> Dreadful. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you have any like on 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 like bad days where everything's like yeah, a bit aw- woeful? Like, what what do you do? Awful. But I have an Una, and yeah. thankfully she is the tigger to my eel. Oh, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever called her that before. Oh. So. But um, in terms of like, because quite a few people ask me, you know, they might want to set up a business or it might be lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your view on like co-founders? Obviously, you work with your sister. Mm-hmm. Um. That must have its kind of joys and challenges, but it sounds like what you're saying is that, you know, it's it is a really good partnership. It is. I think it's the easiest working relationship I've ever had. <laughs> I think it helps that I'm the eldest. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> 
But no, I feel work issues get resolved. I think they don't fester. Um, I think things can blow up a lot more easily um, between us, but they also settle down again quickly. Um, there's no boundaries as well. I mean, work carries on at, at night time, at weekends. You know, I could phone her at eight o'clock to talk about something and then suddenly you're back onto work or it's a Saturday morning and then suddenly you're back onto work. But but that's great because in the times that we are working together, um, because I have to say, Una works in the bakery in Yorkshire and, and I'm mainly at home in London, apart from, you know, when I go up for, for week-long stints to, to work up there together. So you're not so sitting we next work, to We're each not other. next to each other. We, we work remotely. But when we do work together, it feels as though we're just hanging out, you know, which is, it's fantastic. I heard um, Pippa Murray from Pippa Nut interviewed the other day and she said, they said somebody asked her if you could do anything differently, what would you do? And she said um, if she started another business, she would get a co-founder just because of having that, um, someone to bounce ideas off and like celebrate the highs and, you know, be together in the you know in those low points to keep each other going yeah I think it's really important um but I know you've we've spoken about this before because you've worked with co-founders yeah and co-founder relationships and it's well what's your read on it I think I've seen well I think I think it's interesting that you guys are sisters yeah because I think that's a different there dynamic. is a real um you've got very, very, very similar values. Mm. And so you think very, uh, you know, almost the two of you are kind of like the same person. Yeah. <laughs> um, in some in some ways, yeah. um, you kind of look at the world in a very, very similar way. And yeah. I've seen quite a few co-founder relationships start well, but go, go um, get more tense when um, the ambition um, is slightly different. The vision for the company is, is mismatched. Yeah. Um, and people's um, different working styles and kind of wants and needs don't marry up. And I think it is, it's almost like got to be a perfect jigsaw puzzle to come together to work well. And, and a lot of, um, you know, some startups that I do see, it, there can be a challenge with those co-founders. Mm. And I, I've worked with some people that have looked for a co-founder you know oh right yeah and um, and have and have been, well not on but actually <laughs> co-founded you know a lot of people are like how can I find like a sidekick on this yeah um um because they don't want to go go it alone um yeah. and I have considered it myself because you know I, I run I run, I'm a solo entrepreneur mm -hmm. as they call it um but I think that challenge of finding that person that is going to uh see the same vision and um have complementary complementary skills, skills See, because if you're so similar the kind of the there can be a mismatch if you're both very similar yeah you know so and if you're both like marketeers or you're both the sales guy um you, you kind of need to have like somebody that really really owns the product and somebody that really really can own like the building of the brand and the communication or like the really really business person um and if everyone's kind of fighting for the same corner, then um, you have a whole skill set in the company that doesn't um, get fulfilled. Yeah. Um, and there's a kind of bit of elbows in the way. Um, so it, I think it's quite a fine balance. Yeah, it's tricky. Mm. Um, I was going to say, because Una and I, although we're so similar and we have the same vision and you laugh because 
you know we sound exactly the same and we you know we have sort of the same thoughts we're so different in terms of skills she's so incredibly practical um and she does things in a kitchen whereas i'm not even allowed to really hold a knife in the kitchen (laughs) (laughs) you have to stay well out of there so what would the old jenny say to the new jenny your hair looks good (laughs) (laughs) sorry hey it does look good it does look good at the moment doesn't it um i would say just have have confidence i think this is a a i it's a problem that i mean i know a lot of women have talked about imposter syndrome but and i think it may be a bit of that because you think am i should i be running my own business do mm-hmm. i know enough to run my own business and you realise that actually no one else really knows what they're doing. Everyone else is just trying to run a business or trying to do a job which they're not quite sure they know how to do it or what they're doing. Absolutely. And um, and I think it would just be confidence. And I think it's actually um, come from having children that you become more confident. You just suddenly realise the power of the stuff you can do. Yeah. (laughs) Look what I just did in three hours. Yeah. Yeah. To have confidence. That's lovely. Just confidence every time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And um, if you're... What advice would you give to somebody that wants to start a food startup or is kind of in the early stages and process of having a food company? I would say um, be good. So I know that sounds a bit odd, but for me, I think we all know the problems that are associated with food and food justice, say from poor agricultural wages to questionable industrial policies, uh, environmental impact of what you're making, uh, price fixing. And I would say don't start a food company unless you're really committed to making a product that does something better, that makes things better, really. Um, And I think that's the part that really mattered to me because I realised that Una was making something that really was changing how people perceived a category. Mm -hmm. Um, And I see so many people starting food companies because it's a trend and then employing people on poor wages or using um, poor quality ingredients. And I just feel as though you need to be a bit more self-aware if you're starting a food company now. But it is it is becoming important for companies and, and consumers. Um, people are, you know, almost giving a bit more of a shit <laughs> about what so- they're eating, where it's coming from, what it's you know how much plastics involved what's the process and i think that's a really good tip thanks for that so i'm asking everyone this question what would you say your formula is for pivoting like what are the ingredients to transition from one career to another i would say um having strong values i would say having strong values um 
But like from, knowing what your values are. Yeah, having strong personal values. So for me, it had to be that what we were doing was ethical, that we were honest about how we were producing our product. Mm. So we still make everything ourselves, we don't outsource. Um, and that it had integrity. So is why are you doing it? Why are you making it? What It has... For me, what we do has purpose, and yeah. that, to me, is 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 the differentiation between doing something that I can easily do, but do, or doing something that I love, and doing something for for me, and doing mm. something that makes things better. And I I genuinely think this is making something better. I totally love that because I completely agree. Like, if you're doing something that you really, really believe in and you, you know, purpose, the P word kind of gets thrown around, doesn't it? And um, a little bit. But it's really, really true. If you believe what you are doing as an individual and the thing that you're putting out into the world is and the making you're making. Yeah. Um, and you're aligned with that purpose, then I think that's what keeps you motivated, mm. you know? And make, makes you want to work at the weekend and um, put that extra effort in. And that's what makes it an effective pivot, I think. It wasn't because I actually still had that that grounding, that rooting, that what I was doing had, had purpose. Oh, thank you so much for sharing everything. It's been really fun to dive all <laughs> into all of this. And so where can we find The Marshmallowist? You can find us online at www.themarshmallowist.com. Uh, come to us there and our socials, marshmallowist at the marshmallowist. And you also do a fabulous newsletter, don't you? That you uh, write. We do. Yes, we do. Sign up for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you, if you sign up, you get ten percent off your first order. Thank you very much for coming in, Jenny. And um, I'm sure this won't be our last conversation. Liz, it will never be our last (laughs) conversation. Just try and stop us. (laughs) You've been listening to the Slick Pivot Sessions with me, Liz Ward. The podcast for life's achievers and believers. I hope you've enjoyed listening as much as I've enjoyed talking. Please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple or Google or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us to grow and continue to bring you amazing guests. The show notes have all the links and references from today's session. And for one-to-one coaching or to find out about my Pivot Power programs, log on to slickpivot.com. Until our next session together, stay nimble and remember, no pivot is ever slick.